You know, you said police ultimately want to put the right person in jail. That should be their goal, yes. And, but these cases, and even, you know, if, a, if one of our members is involved in a shooting, um, there's a lot that goes into these cases. And I, I think one of the things that we've talked about before is, you know, a lot, a lot of people think, well, if I get into a shooting, and I, and I can honestly say this is the way I think, if I get into a shooting, it's probably going to be a, a, I'm not one to push the envelope with people. I'm not one to get involved in things. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, if I'm forced to defend myself and shoot someone in defense of my safety or safety of my family or something, you know, it, it's just going to be accepted that I was doing the right thing. But, you know, you have in, and we've talked about this before, too, in cases where we talk about staying in a car, not rolling down the window mm -hmm. or something. You know, if somebody is, if some person is pulling into a parking lot as you're opening your door because, and you didn't start it, but somebody else is being aggressive to you or something and you open the door, then that person may see you as the aggressor. It's the perception. And that's, it's the perception. All right, welcome back to the CCWSA podcast. I'm Mike Darter, and this is a part two follow-up. So we did part one last week. So if you haven't listened to that, listen to that, uh, because we go into a little bit of the background of Chris Cunningham. Uh, she's our new um, critical event responder. Critical response, critical response team, team member. Yeah. Um, and she, she actually is going to be talking about that today. She talked a little bit about it last time uh, with her first response. And so it's great to be here to talk with Thank you again. You. Thank you. Um, so I, I wanted to start off because everybody loves a good police story. So, <laughs> And it, st it started off with just telling us a story. She had, what, how many years did you have? Total? I had 30? uh, 31 years total with the Oklahoma City Police Department. And then um, I spent, of those 31 years, I spent approximately... 22, 23 years in either child abuse, child pornography, or homicide. And I actually spent 17 years in the homicide unit. That's awesome. So yeah, let's just start off with the story yeah. that you had from there. Um, it could be about Stan if you want it to be. Yeah, I, I'll have those <laughs> stories. I just need to make sure I've been employed a little bit longer before <laughs> I roll those out. But, uh, you know, everybody talks about how, how you have... Um, one or two cases that just stand out to you that just stick in your brain. And um, it, it's kind of funny because if you've actually done the work, you get to the point where it's not just one or two. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. have multiple cases that you can you can say, you know, somebody will tell you, hey, let's meet at this location. You're like, oh, yeah, I worked a case right there mm -hmm. on the corner of. So you talk about it. And, and have them. And I've had multiple opportunities to watch just unbelievably good police work. Um, either I've been a part of it or I've watched our patrol officers do amazing work. Um, I had one case, uh, Jamie Adams was the victim. Um, this one stays with me because this is the one and only case I ever did television on. I ever mm. did participated in any kind of television uh, program about it. And Jamie was married to a gentleman uh, by the name of Justin Adams. Um, she was six weeks pregnant and she had been uh, doing some 
placing some personal ads on Craigslist. Justin had placed some of those ads for her, basically uh, just prostituting her out for money. Um, She had two small children uh, in the home. She had an infant son that had uh, was less than a year old with Justin. Um, and she went out one night to make some money and never came home. Uh, we worked that case. It took, uh, from the time we got the case and got called out on it, uh, it took seven years to go to trial. And <clears throat> I originally arrested Justin, the husband, uh, for the murder, and he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Um, and then uh, knew we weren't done with the case because of some of the evidence, and we continued to work it and continued to work it, and eventually DNA. It is the one case that I had in my entire career where DNA made the difference in that case. Um, We recovered DNA. Jamie was reported missing by Justin um, on December 8th, I believe, uh, or 9th, and we found her one month later, um, about three miles south of where her car had been found. And she'd been uh, out uh, in the elements in the environment the entire time. Actually used the University of Oklahoma's uh, forensic entomology unit to help us with that case. Uh, They came out and did some of their unbelievable work on bug life cycles and and, uh, other things. And we were able to actually show that she had been there for the entirety of the time that she was missing before she was found. And that's a big, that's a big issue when you're trying to say that the person that met her on this night is the one that killed her. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to show that that's consistent with the physical evidence, and it was. So we actually ended up arresting and uh charging a second individual, Joseph Sear, uh, for the murder of Jamie. Uh, Justin had his charges uh, reduced to manslaughter. Uh, He had two counts of manslaughter because he was placing ads for her on Craigslist, and that activity is what ended up resulting in her death. Joseph Sear went to trial. Uh, The jury found him guilty and gave him two uh, life without the possibility of parole sentences at trial. Um, He has been in prison since then. Uh, Justin received a 10-year suspended sentence on his plea agreement uh, for the manslaughter charges, but about a week ago, uh, he ended up being sent to prison for violating that suspended sentence because he was charged with some additional crimes, uh, unrelated to our case, but it resulted in his suspended sentence being accelerated. Wow. So I, I just remember that case, um, one, because it was it was such a long, drawn-out case. There were several things that we had to do. Um, I actually put someone in jail and ultimately was able to prove that I was wrong, that they didn't do it, um, and that uh, you know the evidence... Basically, Mm -hmm. I I shouldn't say I I was wrong in that he was not the person that did it, but the evidence is what proved that he was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that same evidence ended up being the evidence that convicted Joseph Sear. 
And what was crazy about that case is, you know, you do all that work, you have to follow all the leads to the end, and that's what happened. Initially, there was domestic violence between Justin and Jamie that really led us to believe that he was the one mm -hmm. responsible. There was some conflicting information. I learned a lot about cell phone tower data during that case and how it can be misleading in certain, in certain instances. Um, but ultimately for me, that case will always stick with me because it was incredible police work by our computer forensic people, by our, uh, we were able to work with the FBI on that case. Um, and it was a true testament to law enforcement wants to put the right person in mm -hmm. jail, not just someone in jail. Because Justin Adams, I have no doubt, if we'd have gone to trial with the evidence that we had at the time he was arrested, I have no doubt that a jury would have convicted, convicted him. him. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't guilty of killing his wife. He was not guilty of killing Jamie Adams. And I have no doubt in my mind that Joseph Sear, the person that's in prison, is the true killer of Jamie. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it will always stick in my head because of just the great police work that was done from the initial call that Sergeant Spielman took when Jamie's vehicle was, was found Recovered, yeah. um, and the work that he did that night to the final, the DNA is him and we were able to put the whole picture together where 12 jurors could understand it and know that this was the person that was responsible and we had the right person. You know, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about because I had originally planned to, to have you talk about kind of like what you knew about CCWSA before and after being here. But I think just this story is a, is a great example and maybe we can talk about that of, you know, you said police ultimately want to put the right person in jail. That should be their goal, yes. And, but these cases and even, you know, if, a, if one of our members is involved in a shooting, um, there's a lot that goes into these cases. And I, I think one of the things that we've talked about before is you know, a lot, a lot of people think, well, if I get into a shooting, and I, and I can honestly say this is the way I think, if I get into a shooting, it's probably going to be a, a, I'm not one to push the envelope with people. I'm not one to get involved in things. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, if I'm forced to defend myself and shoot someone in defense of my safety or safety of my family or something, you know, it, it's just going to be accepted that I was doing the right thing. But, you know, you have in, and we've talked about this before too, in cases where we talk about staying in a car, not rolling down the window mm -hmm. or something. You know, if somebody is, if some person is pulling into a parking lot as you're opening your door because, and you didn't start it, but somebody else is being aggressive to you or something and you open the door, then that person may see you as the aggressor. It's the perception. And that's, it's the perception. Yeah. So what, um, let's talk a, a little bit about that because I think that's uh, something that everybody really needs to understand. Everybody has a role, like sure. the roles of law enforcement, and you can maybe talk a little bit about that, but also the role uh, of the victim, which in our case would be seen as a possible suspect. Sure. Um, so you have to think about this in that one, you're, you're dealing every person that's involved in, in whatever incident that's happened is a human being. 
and they bring with them their prior instances, their prior experiences, their current mindset, their past mindset, their perceptions of the situation, and everything that's happened to them up to that point has formulated a, a preconceived belief, whether that's an accurate belief or not. It's, been, it's already been formed. So when you have, you have this really perfect storm of things that happen and you have our member that has their perception of what happened, mm -hmm. you have the other individual or individuals that were involved that either acted the way they did for whatever reason or had a perception, like you said, a door was open and they took it the wrong way. But then you have to remember that those people that are coming to investigate that situation also have those same things that affect their train of thought, their judgment, their their ideas of, of who somebody is. They make they make judgments based on how people look. That happens. Mm -hmm. um, so I you know I get asked a lot about you know well should I trust the police to do the right thing and do their job? And my answer to that is yes, you should trust them to do that. But that doesn't mean you sit there without representation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you sit there without someone advocating for you. Because ideally, if the system is working the way it's supposed to, then the truth should come out. Mm -hmm. But we all know that everybody plays a role in this. And you can have one individual make the wrong assumption, and it affects everything from that point on. If you think about it, it's like the domino effect. Mm -hmm. It's like if you, have, if you have an investigator come in and make an assumption, and that assumption is then transferred to how everyone else sees what's happened, and it's wrong from the beginning, how does that get corrected? That gets corrected because you, as the person involved, have someone advocating for mm -hmm. you saying, that's not what happened, this is what they said. Because a lot of times you get one opportunity to tell your version mm -hmm. of what happened, your perception of what happened. And sometimes when there's not another person to give their version of it, or you don't have an independent witness, or you don't have video, everything is going to be based on what everybody perceived. Mm -hmm. And the only people that really truly know what happened are the people that are there from the very beginning. So I, I think it's important, you know, I've I taught for years um, with my agency and with other agencies. And one thing that I always told police officers, I always told them this, is you are a police officer, but you also have rights. Mm -hmm. So if you sit across from someone and they read you your Miranda rights, then I'm telling you to ask for an attorney. I'm not telling you not to talk. I'm not telling you not mm -hmm. to give a statement. I'm telling you it is your right to have representation there because a lot of times that person is free of the misperceptions mm -hmm. of everything that's gone on. That's just someone that is there to advocate for you and for your position and when you can no longer talk because I can't, if you've invoked your right to counsel, I can't talk to you mm -hmm. anymore. Okay. Yep. If I've taken a statement from you and then you invoke your right from count for counsel, I can't talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. So any misconceptions, any misunderstandings, any follow up that I would want to do, I can't do that without your attorney present. Right. So it's just really important that you don't lose sight of the very beginning. If it gets on to 
the wrong perception or misperception, there, it's really hard to come back from mm -hmm. that. Okay. And then you also can't forget that sometimes law enforcement doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Right. Sometimes you have people that are in it for the wrong reasons or just have had a really bad day or a really bad incident and it affects their attitude. It affects how they do their job. It affects the effort that they put in their job. And that's not your responsibility to fix. You can't fix that. But the way that you, that way that you battle that and you try to correct that is by having someone to add advocate for you, which is why I like the system that CCW Safe has mm -hmm. so much. Is the first thing we do when you call and you've had an incident on the critical incident line, you're going to immediately be put in touch with our National Trial Council. So that immediate legal, let's see where we need to go, is there already and in place. And then we get you in touch with a local attorney if need be, and, and we go from there. So, that, I mean, that's really the first step that we take, and that is to get that advocate in place for you. And then if we need to go a little further, I get involved or another uh, critical response team member gets involved. And then we make sure that we have the people in place to help make sure everybody is on a level playing field and seeing this for exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, and when we look, oh, I'd just like to say one of the things we've always told our members is, um, you, you know, when early when we started this company, there was a lot about don't say anything, don't give them any information. You have to give them some information. You yes. have to give them who, and you can do that in a way, you know, and I think you can do it in a way where you can say, you know, um, look, I'll be happy to cooperate. I don't think I'm in a position right now to give a statement. And you can give just the basics of, of, of what happened. But there is a fine line in, in going too far. Correct. So, and yeah. that's something that I don't know if you have kind of a thought sure. on. Um, you know, it, it's hard in, in my time as a homicide investigator, you know, you, you you get instances where people are acting within the law, they're defending themselves, they're acting uh, totally in, in, within their rights to defend themselves or other people. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that if I don't have some information, I can't say that that's what they did. I can't, I just have one person has taken the life of another person or has shot another person or has injured another person. And if they don't tell me at least a little bit, then I'm backed in a corner where I can't make a judgment on what the situation was. And nine times out of 10, you're gonna find law enforcement is just gonna go ahead and make an arrest because the easiest probable cause is Yes, I discharged my firearm and I shot that person. Well, that's my probable cause for mm -hmm. an arrest right there. Mm -hmm. And however that person's condition is, would determine whether it's first degree murder or mm -hmm. manslaughter or assault with a deadly weapon. So there are times where law enforcement has to have some information. And I liken that to in officer involved shootings, which we also worked when I was in the homicide unit. Um, our officers, it was very clear, you don't give a statement to us until you have representation. 
However, we do need some information to be able to correctly work the scene, so it was considered a public safety statement where we were given the information based on who else was involved, where you were located, is there any other danger, is there anything else we need to look for. We didn't talk about the specifics of the incident. That's not what you're doing at that point in time. So the, the fine line is you have to be really careful as to how far in the narrative you go about the incident. You can give a statement to law enforcement and not give an interview mm -hmm. or be interrogated. And I think that's where people think that if they don't read me my rights and I don't talk to them, then I'm not going to give them anything or... I have to tell them the whole story. And, and it's really not that way. My suggestion would be is as a member, if you are, are in a position, give a statement to the point that you're comfortable with, I've provided them with the basic information, and then make sure that you have reached out so that representation can be for you for a more detailed statement. That would be, that would be the best way to handle it. Because if you give them nothing, their hands are tied. Mm -hmm. And there's not really a lot that can be done at that point. As an investigator, if it's not clear cut or I don't have an independent witness, I really don't have a lot of options at that point. Um, but there, there is a very fine line, and that's where I would educate yourself uh, as a member, looking at the, at the uh, videos that we have, hear, listening to the podcasts that we have, where they can give you some insight into the type of information that law enforcement would need uh, to get mm -hmm. you to the point that you can contact and then and then have an attorney respond. So that's a good point. Statement versus <coughs> interview interpretation. <Correct. coughs> and also just to kind of piggyback that. And I know this I can speak of this from personal experience that I had in my shooting because of the physiological effects that you go through, whether it be, you know, auditory exclusion, whether it be memory, memory uh, distortion, um, that's one of the main reasons why you don't want to go into giving a statement at that time because a lot of the, when, and you know, you've probably had this too, in, in a critical stress incident, you have, it, it's almost uh, like being in a, a, a dream and trying to piece it together. Yes. <clears throat> and a lot of the things you're not <clears throat> gonna remember, um, you know, and, and I remember in my case, I remember um, I, I got home eight hours after, six to eight hours after the shooting, <clears throat> still sitting on my couch thinking, what just happened? Yeah. Like trying to piece it together. Absolutely. And it's human nature to, you know, if you're involved in something, it's, it's human nature to try to justify our actions. And if you don't know or you can't recall the full story at that time, you don't want to try to fill it in with something that is going to justify your actions point. that you think you may have yeah. done or you thought you may have done, but then the evidence comes up later to show, no, that didn't happen. Right. So that's one of the main points of, you know, why, you know, sleep, two sleep cycles now, um, why you don't want to do an interview. And I think it's great advice to think of it in terms of a statement versus an interview because there is a difference and just tell them, you know, Hey, look, I'm not I'm not in the right mind right now. I'll be happy to cooperate. I need my attorney and and I'll be happy to cooperate with Correct. you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and and that goes even a step further. Uh, you know, remember we talked 
briefly about misperceptions and misunderstandings and miscommunication and all that. So let's say you do give the initial statement and you're trying to fill in those gaps that you mm -hmm. don't actually remember. And then that investigator believes that you're intentionally yeah. doing that yeah. when it's, it's really not that. Right. And so a lot of people, it's human nature. Nobody wants to say, I don't know, or mm -hmm. I don't remember because they think it makes them look like they're trying to be deceptive. Yeah. That's actually the least, least deceptive yeah. answer you can give when you're talking to someone in this type of situation. Because even now, and, and like I said, I just recently retired, you know, we have body cameras and our officers were allowed to uh, view the body cams before mm -hmm. they gave interviews. Well, they've been given the opportunity to review the entire incident in video form. And we would find that they still didn't remember mm -hmm. some of the things that had occurred during the incident. So they would say, well, I saw on the video. Well, but that's not your recollection. That's you watching a video. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to take a breath and do what you've said. Say, you know, I want to cooperate. I just need to have my representation here. And you may need to go through the incident two or three times with your attorney because even the first time you tell it, you're not going to tell everything. Mm -hmm. The first time you uh, share the story, you're going to rush through it so fast, you're going to leave stuff out. The second time you tell the story, you're still not going to rush. You're still not going to tell it. You're going to be rushing. So it's all about taking the time to decompress, taking the time to let people follow up. Let your attorney ask you questions. Let them say, well, what happened after this? Because that's how you get the pieces that aren't going to come back immediately. Mm -hmm. That's how you get the pieces that you're going to wake up in the middle of the night three weeks later and remember something else that happened. So, it, and it's not about being deceptive. It's not about not wanting to tell the truth. It's about what physiologically happens to your brain during a stressful, traumatic incident. And um, you just have to be really careful because those type of situations can cause you to appear to be deceptive when in all actuality, that's not what you're doing. That's your brain trying to fill in those spots. So I would encourage you, if you don't recall, if you don't remember, that's the best answer that you can give because making stuff up and filling stuff in really doesn't serve a purpose for you it doesn't accurately reflect what happened. And it could again continue or cause a perception to happen mm -hmm. from an investigator. They may believe you completely up to that point, but then when you start making up stuff or you start filling in the gaps to try to make it make sense to you, then you become suspect to that investigator because they know what you've done. They know what's happened at that point. And now they're getting for lack of a better word, suspect information mm -hmm. from you when that's really not what's happening. You're just trying to fill in those gaps. It's okay to have gaps in your memory. It's okay to not remember the incident. And I can say you, years later, there are still <coughs> things Absolutely. that I think about. I was talking to Mike Kelly one day and I was like this, and he's like, I don't remember that. Yeah. And then there were still things years later that you, okay, is this something that, how did this get there? Is this something that happened or a perception of mine or something like that? So yeah, right. it's normal to do that. So that was a good conversation. I think that was uh, 
based on, and if you can't tell already why we hired her, <laughs> you can see now um, just the, the amount of information and knowledge experience that she has is incredible for you as members to have this as a resource. Let's go back and talk. So last time we left and you had talked about, you went out and spent some time with, with this member yeah. and how you saw that and how it was fulfilling for you. Um, let's just kind of talk just for a minute and end up with kind of what I wanted to talk about. What, what, do you, what did you know about CCWSA before? What are your thoughts now? And what are your thoughts about working in this capacity? Uh, to be honest, I didn't know a lot uh, about CCW Safe before, other than I knew that uh, Stan mm -hmm. and you had started the company. Um, I, I, for knowing very little about it, I knew that it would be a great, great company just because I know the two of you. Um, I really was not looking for work. I, I really, I had just retired. I retired in May. After 31 years, it was time to just kind of do something different. Um, and then I got approached with this. I, I will say I was very excited um, about Gary, mm -hmm. uh, being able to work alongside Gary if I chose to take the job. And he's always been kind of a, a hero yeah. for me. Um, he was one of the OGs when I hired on. So, um, it, you know, it was just a, an opportunity to, after I had uh, lunch with Stan and Kent and, and just kind of did a deep dive in it and, and looked at it and thought, oh, you know, I, I don't know if this is what I'm looking for. I'm not mm -hmm. looking to, you know, I'm not a big gun enthusiast. I don't have mm -hmm. a lot of firearms. I wasn't, you know, the first time I ever shot a firearm was, was when I hired on the police department. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I, I just wasn't, I, and I'm not a big gun enthusiast, but you know, I spent 31 years, Mike, being involved in a system that can steamroll somebody mm -hmm. and, and just totally just wipe somebody out because they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not because they haven't done anything wrong, because they've done nothing wrong, mm -hmm. it's because they don't know how the system works. I worked in the system for 31 years and I still sometimes don't understand how the system works. Uh, it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, when, when Kent and Stan told me about it and I did a dive, I thought, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could do that. But I still wasn't interested in working, mm -hmm. so it wasn't a good enough, you know, opportunity. And then I just got hollered at from Gary and, and Stan and said, hey, we've got this critical incident. We need to respond to a member. You want to go see what it's like in real time? And I said, sure. So mm -hmm. I went with him and we went up and, and like I said, you know, watching our member turn around in that parking lot and see, we had three people there, Gary, uh, myself, and then another individual was there and watching that member and just seeing the relief Mm -hmm. flood their face um, and then talking to him and spending time with them and and helping him understand what's getting ready to happen and letting him see you know it 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 kind of just clicked mm -hmm. because you know you like I said 31 years of watching people just get eaten alive by by how the system can work and function um, and that's even at its best when it's functioning the way it's supposed to. And then when you get situations that are wrong from jump mm -hmm. and somebody should have, you know, taken the reins and fixed this, 
um, it, it really, it, I keep coming back to a no-brainer. It was probably the easiest decision I've made in a long, long time. And, and uh, now that I've been here, I've been here since the 1st of October, have absolutely loved it. The group here is, is wonderful. It's, it's a member first, mm -hmm. you know, organization. And um, I've gotten to work with Gary and uh, I've gotten to, to speak with, uh, most, of my, most of my contact with the members turns into phone calls. Mm -hmm. And it's just nice to speak to them and kind of by the end of that phone call, you get a little bit of that, okay, they understand a little better about mm -hmm. what can happen and what will happen and that kind of thing. So I, I look forward to a long partnership nice. with this group. Um, I look forward to us growing and, and I will say this, I hope I never meet a member in person again. Mm -hmm. That would be perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, because that means that they're not getting ready to go through, yeah. you know, what we all know, even in the best of circumstances, is stressful. Yeah. You can, you can speak to that. Mm -hmm. and, um, but if I have to, I will. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk them through it. And it'll be, it'll be a good situation that will both come out better for it mm -hmm. and understand a little more. So. Yeah, Gary's been a, a, a hero for a lot of people here. He actually <coughs> interviewed me. He was the homicide detective that interviewed yeah. me on my shooting. Huge respect <clears throat> and, for him. And even before that, yeah, I had huge respect for Gary. Um, and I'd really like to get him on and talk to about, like, kind of go into what he did after. Because, I mean, yeah. even since he left the department, he has had mean, an he amazing was, career. He was a legend there. Yeah. And what he's added to his yeah. his CV since then, oh, he yeah. is a rock star. Yeah. I mean, he, this guy has so much knowledge and so much, I mean, CCW Safe was lucky to hang on to him for yeah. six years, to be honest. Yeah. Because he's got that much of a working knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even with me, I mean, he just welcomed me with open arms and yeah. said, hey, this is how we do it. This is what we're here for. And. And uh, it, it's just been a, it's been a great transition, um, and uh, I, I've really appreciated uh, the opportunity. And, and we're just going to continue to try and make sure our members understand, you mm -hmm. know, what they need to do. Because you know, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't know what to do, it's yeah. not worth anything. That was a good so. point you brought up last week, and and Stephen Maddox have brought that up in the oh, past. Yes, you he know, has, yeah. said well, I could have all the money in the world. I don't know who to hire. And even as a you know, as a I, I was in law enforcement twenty years. I don't know who's. Yeah. And even you know, then even when I was on the department during my shooting, I didn't know. I mean, I was in court, you know, weekly yeah. on prelims and everything, but I didn't know really anything about the attorneys, yeah. who are the good, I mean, who are the good ones. I knew who a lot that I went up against, but, yeah. um, you know, so, and that's a lot of it is, is just knowledge. And I, and I like what you said too, about don't be, you know, we tell our kids all the time, Hey, it's okay to say, Absolutely. I don't understand, or I don't know. Absolutely. You know? It's, that's what yeah. you want. You, that's how you learn. That's how you say, I don't understand this, you know, talk me through it, show me. So that was a good point too, because a lot of times, you know, especially, in these instances, people, they want to be right. Right. You know, they want to, you know, so. <clears throat> well, but. and that's one of the things. I mean, you talked about 20 years. I just spent 31 years and I've sat, I've been called for jury duty. I never mm -hmm. got picked. I always got yeah. booted. Yeah. But I've sat in a jury chair 
waiting to get picked for a jury. Mm -hmm. I've sat in a witness chair testifying I don't know how many times. Mm -hmm. I've sat at sentencing hearings waiting to testify in front of a judge for sentencing. I've sat second chair at the prosecution table for I don't know how many trials. Mm -hmm. I've never sat in a defendant's chair. Yeah. Never. And I don't want to ever. <laughs> but if I can hold somebody's hand because they're facing that, mm -hmm. I can tell them what's going on the other side. And the biggest fear people have is the fear of the unknown. Unknown, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hey, let's talk them through it. Let's help them through it. I'm not the attorney. I'm not their investigator. I'm not their, you know, crime scene analyst. Mm -hmm. But I can tell them what role each one of these people play yeah. and how that will fit into what's happening with them. And, and if I can do that, then I'll fill that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, that void mm -hmm. that kind of just sat yeah. there through 31 years. Because you can't do it. You've yeah. got to stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. As as much as you want to, you can't do it. Yeah. So. Well, and I talked to somebody. We, we had a, a, he's a member now, but before he was a member, he actually went through a lawsuit. And just not having anybody there other than an attorney that you've cho chosen to represent you, um, not having a team with the experience. I mean, it was, uh, you know, just to listen to him talk about that. And he ended up spending, you know, over... $500,000 in his defense. He had to pull, he was like a year or two away from retirement. He yeah. had to pull all his retirement out, you know. Um, so, and I can say this, you know, <laughs> I've known Chris, I was the uh, like academy or two before she came on. I've known her, her whole career. Um, we never worked together, but she is an amazing investigator she's an amazing police officer she's done so much for oklahoma city police department and this community here and i am so thrilled to have her on and i know you as a member um you should feel the same because she's awesome at what she does and um it's going to be amazing to have her on and get more training and and we'll get to know her through you know some more videos coming up so yeah Thanks for coming Thanks, on. Mike. Yeah. Appreciate and uh, stay tuned. We're going to come up. We're going to have some <clears throat> interviews coming up with uh, with Kent. We have some other people, um, Jennifer Chance, that we're going to be interviewing. Um, so we're going to get this podcast kicked off again. So stay tuned.